Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Tuesday, April 19th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm here with my sister, Julie Dolan, who is in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Julie, how's it going today? Hi, Leanne. It's good here. We're we're dry in Dallas, but a big shout out to all our friends and Satellite Sisters in Houston that just got, they got so, they have so much rain there, Leanne, and they have historic flooding. So uh, we're thinking of all of them. Yes. In fact, my husband is in Houston on business and he has never seen anything like this. So uh, he's, he's being from Southern California. He's never seen 20 inches of rain (laughs) in 24 hours. So he was staying across the street from his office building last night, yesterday. He couldn't even get across the street. There was so much water in the street. So yes, we're thinking of all the satellite sisters in the Houston area. Please stay safe. I hope everyone's okay. Um, we do have a full show today, Julie. Um, we've made a major decision on Outlander. Yes, <laughs> and we did. I think we would. And, you know, I know it's probably hard to understand the responsibility of a TV recap. I mean, it doesn't seem like that much. But we would love to do Outlander. We'd love to make commentary. But we're not doing a full recap. Is that correct? That's right. what we decided. Which, which means that we're not going to go through every plot point of um, Outlander. Our discussion is going to be more at a high level, or in this case, for this week's episode, I think we're going to get down and dirty later. Yes. What do you think? Yes, we are. Because a recap implies that we have to do research and connect the dots from episode to episode, and we're already recapping Madam Secretary. Right. So we could not take on two recaps. It was and too much. And then there's the whole issue of time travel, Liam, yeah. which is just mind-boggling, <laughs> right? It's hard to... You really need a big whiteboard uh, to keep uh, the time flow uh, correct for Outlander. So I think it's better that we're doing a commentary. We're just doing commentary. That will be at the end of this show. And then Madam Secretary will be a separate recap podcast you're going to find. That's the full real deal recap. This is a commentary. Uh, And then besides that, Pulitzer Prizes were awarded yesterday. Some interesting Pulitzer Prizes went out. We're going to talk about that. Julie, you have an article from the Wall Street Journal on how to make new friends as a grown-up, which is yes. always a sor- an interesting source of conversation. So and I can't... why you don't, and some of the reasons why you hesitate to make a new friend. Interesting uh, information, Liam. All right. And then uh, per request from the Facebook page, uh, several people posted an article from a former dean at Stanford University who wrote the book How to Raise an Adult about uh, skills every 18-year-old needs. So we're going to go through those eight skills. And then just I had a lot of personal experiences with 18-year-olds this week. <laughs> 18 and, and How are they doing? How are they measuring up, Leon? Okay. You know. Save it. <laughs> I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. And then I did something for the first time yesterday. Good. I conquered a fear. So I'm going to... Uh, going to tell you all about that. But Julie, honestly, today, the big New York primary, you've spent so much time in Brooklyn. I'm surprised you're not a registered New York voter now. <laughs> I really thought you would like return to your homeland of Brooklyn to vote, but you're to vote, you, uh, I, at least an absentee ba- ballot yeah, or something. Yeah. Leanne. Yes. I do feel quite at home at Brooklyn, Leanne, And I, and I do have a point of view about all things Brooklyn <laughs> and, uh, and I could really get involved in the politics there. Uh, I definitely could. As it turned out when I was picking up 
uh, my dear sweet Josephine, my granddaughter from uh, childcare one afternoon early, we actually ended up in the middle of a Bernie Sanders rally. <laughs> Were you there? Did you just like run into Vampire Weekend and you couldn't get away? Or I just, they were all, everybody had a button on, but we didn't, Leon. And they were just pouring out of these VW van, vans in uh, lower Manhattan, waiting for Bernie Sanders. Now, this was 2.30 in the afternoon, and Bernie wasn't actually speaking till 9 o'clock at night. So that's my on-the-ground insight for you, Leon. There is a lot of enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders. If you're going to stand and wait from 2.30 to 9 to see your candidate, that's good, Leon. I guess there. it is. Well, we'll see. Tonight, the big New York primary results will be results will be coming in. But uh, didn't you have a couple of excellent yes, celebrity sightings you've been did, hiding? Leanne. You've been I keeping did, a Leanne. secret? I've been, I've been just held these back. You know, again, I'm just wandering the streets of lower Manhattan with my stroller, ready to pick up Josephine in a moment's notice. And who do I literally run into with the stroller, but Charlie Rose. Oh, you know, CBS is Charlie Rose. Yeah. He does the morning show and let's face it. He looks sort of wrinkly on the morning show. Wouldn't you say, don't you think he looks sort of old and wrinkly? Right. Um, and I, I would say, you know, he looks, yeah, he looks older, wrinkly, yeah. rumpled. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he, he does not have plastic surgery. So he looks like a man of a certain age on high definition TV who has not right. had plastic surgery. Yeah, so that's yeah. exactly right. Right. But in person, up close and personal, super handsomely. Oh, really? Dreamy. He was dreamy looking. He was wearing a light blue shirt and matching blue sweater. It was totally working for him. Uh, you know, yes. And much younger. I thought at least 10 years younger. Mm. Like when I look at him on TV, I think eh, he's probably like 65. Oh, when no, you yeah. person, person, uh-uh, no, he's, oh. he's got it all going there. Okay. So that was uh, two thumbs up for Charlie Rose. <laughs> then shortly. <laughs> wow. You're not going to hear that on every podcast. <laughs> no, no, you're not Lynn. Again, we go, we go, we go deep on shallow topics on Tuesday. Uh, so the second person, again, that I run into with my stroller is Chris Matthews of MSNBC. <laughs> yes, he, he was out and about. Now, the thing about Chris is he actually looks paler and more pasty in person <laughs> wow. than he does on TV. That's yeah. hard to imagine because he yes. looks pretty pasty and pale yes. on TV. Yeah. And he's got a band. He's just as loud in person. <laughs> he was just talking up a storm in a very loud, you know how, how loud people are on the streets in, in New York. Yeah. They just yeah. talk really loudly. <laughs> so he was, he was talking up a storm, um, all pale and pasty. <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to one thumb up, one thumb, thumb down on that. A mixed <laughs> review on Chris Matthews <laughs> in person. Then the third celebrity sighting, uh, Leanne, I was just, I was in the Procro area of Brooklyn. And for those- What area? Procro? Pro area, Leanne. This is the Prospect Park, Crown Heights area of Brooklyn. Uh. I am sitting outside a bagel shop and a woman comes up to me and says, you're one of the Satellite Sisters. Really? Leanne, I was the celebrity sighting <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> My gosh, who who uh, was it? Our mom? Was, who was no, it? No, almost, Leanne. Almost, almost as good. Part of the family, pretty much. And that would be you remember at the Brooklyn opening of "You're the Best," a yeah. celebration of friendship. Laura and her mother came. Oh, I yeah. think you probably met them. Yeah, Laura lives in this Procro neighborhood. Okay, she was in the bagel shop, 
And she recognized me and I was with Josephine. She remembered Josephine from the event. And uh, she said her mother was going to be out of her mind that Laura ran, <laughs> ran into me. <laughs> Laura said to her mother, who is a longtime uh, fan and listener to Satellite Sisters, that we, we are the equivalent of Meryl Streep. That like, see... <laughs> That, that is that's big, awesome. isn't it, Leanne? That yeah. is awesome. That's yes. an awesome responsibility, though. I yes. hope you lived up. How did you look? Like, do you think she went home and went, I don't know, Julie looks a little bit pastier and older in person. <laughs> one thumb up, one thumb up, one thumb down. <laughs> I, I might have been one thumb up, one thumb down, Leanne. I didn't, hadn't had my cup of coffee yet in the morning. We were out of coffee, so we headed out early to, to the bagel shop to get some coffee. So... <laughs> Oh, Julie, that is an impressive list. Good. That work. is, I, I thought it was a good, good week in Brooklyn, Leanne. Good week in, in Brooklyn. So, anyway, there, I did want to mention. Uh, I, it came out yesterday. The list of this is the hundredth anniversary of the Pulitzer Prize in journalism and literature, and they, you know, they have a list of the the winners that came out. I don't know if you ever, and it's it's an impressive group, Leon, and you know, and we didn't win, Leon. We no. we are not on the list. Uh, but I don't know if you ever followed. I one of the one of the apps that I use all the time is AP News. I have it on my phone. I like it because it's a very easy way to get you know major stories, you know, and and they do good worldwide co- coverage. So I always read. Um, AP news feeds, but the AP won this year for in the area of public service, and they because they have been doing an 18 month story about slavery in Southeast Asia. Okay. That literally these were slaves, men held as slaves, and they were forced to work in the the seafood industry in Southeast Asia. And this is the same, you know, shrimp that they they harvest in Thailand that ends up in grocery stores in the United States. Oh, really? Yes, yes. These are these are this is the frozen. Okay. I've never not trusted that them, Thai the, shrimp. Yeah, Thai shrimp. So four reporters: Martha Mendoza, Robin McDowell, Esther Hudson, and Margie Mason. They spent eighteen months, and as a result of their reporting and you can go online to AP and read these stories that they did that this led to the release of 2000 men that were being held as slaves land in cages wow. in cages they are in led, cages in cages land it led to the arrest of 12 people they, their reporting led to the seizure of millions of dollars of seafood product and that as a result of their reporting, there is now legislation in Congress for greater transparency for food suppliers. Because what they did, and they took great personal risk. So they, you know, this was all, it, uh, this, these were fishing companies that were operating sort of off Indonesia, you know, but they were Thai-owned Thai fishing companies. And they went there, they, they, from, they found these men on a remote island, okay, 2,000 of them living in cages, forced to work in the seafood business. And, um, you know, they were chased by, like, company, they had, like, fish mafia. They had, like, these thugs that were chasing these reporters around in the boats, 
bumping their boats, you know, because they were trying to, to find out this information. Then they then they had to track all the shrimp and the seafood from this uh, from these, you know, that that was harvested using these slaves. And so they spent nights like hiding out in backs of trucks and, you know, uh, in in processing plants, you know, at great personal risk because they're young girls right. that are, that did this to be able to log all these shipments and prove that, you know, that what was, you know, that this, that this shrimp that was harvested by the slaves was ending up in the United States. It was, you know, because, and the fishing business in Thailand is a $7 billion business. So the stakes were very high. There were a lot of people that were, you know, that were trying to discourage them from uncovering this. And once they uncovered the men on the island, they were, you know, they held off reporting on it because they were afraid if they were, you know, if their story broke about the men, uh, you know, being held as slaves, that they would, you know, put these men at greater risk, that they would be killed or something, something, you know, something terrible would happen to them. So they had to work with the uh, Indonesian uh, authorities to get these men um, to Mm -hmm. safety. So it is it is the first time that AP has ever won the award for public service. You oh. know, individual uh, reporters have uh, you know have won for for investigations that they've done, but so much came out of this multi-series story on you know on the seafood seafood slaves that you know that they you know this is a well-deserved report. So it's worth your time to read the stories hats off to these women. And it just, you know, I mean, again, we take free, free press for granted, but in many places, you know, around the world, you know, this is, uh, it doesn't happen. So a story like this would not happen. And that, you know, that these women were given the resources and the time to develop this story, to prove that they were right, to track the shipments, you know, it took a lot of effort and resources and hats off to them because, they really made a giant difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you go to Pulitzer.org, um, you can see all of the winners for this year, but you can also click through to their stories. So it's a really easy place to see all of the Pulitzer winners because the L.A. Times won for their coverage of the San Bernardino shooting, and they did an amazing job on that, yeah. especially in light of all the cuts. The other thing is we take freedom of the press for granted. We also take the fact that the press will be there if we don't pay for any of our news sources. And, you know, get a subscription to your paper. If you want to keep journalism alive, those people need jobs. I mean, right yes, before, the New York, right. the LA Times said they cut 40 reporters, veteran reporters, right before that story broke. They sent everyone they had out there to cover that story. They did an amazing job. They had 40 more reporters lose their job after the story broke. You know, these people, news, good journalism needs support. So I have a bunch of friends that work at the LA Times and I'm congratulations to them, but also, uh, you know, good journalism costs money. So take a a subscription to your, to your paper, you know, pay for the online digital subscription. This all matters. It's not going to be there forever if no one is paying for their news anymore. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, okay, that sounds okay. great, Julie. I'm gonna now I'm on the Pulitzer site now, so you can click through and read all the winning stories. Right. So okay, so uh, please, good please to do, do that. It was it's really a, a fascinating story, and you can see the pictures of these young reporters and 
I think that makes it even, you know, it's even more compelling that they, they, the personal risk that they took to, to tell this story. So good for them. So, all right. Well, Leon, I wanted to, ch- I also, um, in another fine newspaper, Wall Street Journal uh, today had um, a very interesting article that's right up our alley. Um, the title of the article was Why Making New Friends is Harder for Grownups. Now, I, you know, I think we're pretty clear that we're very pro-friendship here and we know the importance of friendship, particularly for females. I mean, there's all kinds of research that we've talked about before about how it decreases blood pressure and stress. You know, in many cases, it can reduce the risk of depression. It increases longevity. Um, so, you know, it's very nice when you have friends and that, you know, that people are looking out, um, out for you, you know, I think it's that thing, but sadly, as you go through life, one of the things that you do is that you are constantly shedding your friends, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in school, when you're in school, you have this whole pool of people, with possibly similar interests at the same age, you know, doing the same kinds of things. Well, you know, you're constant as you get older and move out away from school, you, you grow in different directions. You may have less in common with, uh, with your, you know, with your friends. And so you, you, you leave them, let alone having disagreements about that. And as the older you get, you have less time to pursue new friendships because it takes a lot of time. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like dating. I mean, you have to like work at it a little. Like if you're going to go walk with someone or have a cup of coffee with someone or go to the movies or whatever, it takes a lot of work. It does. And, And it's also hard, they say, to find people with similar interests and emotional styles. Um, you know, that, that is not, you don't always click with people right off the bat, you know, and, or, or you might have different views on things. And so, uh, that, that's a problem. And then there's this also, the the researchers have found that women are very, in some cases are very inhibited about making a new friend. Haven't you been in that situation where you sit down with someone, I don't know, like on a plane or you're just at an event or somewhere and you meet someone and you, it really, you kind of click with them. Like you, you immediately like them and you, you know, would like to pursue a friendship, but for women, they tend to be more inhibited because of what they, what research, researchers have found women see as a stigma because women feel judged if they don't already have friends, like, oh. do you understand? Like, yeah. it's, it's sort of like, if I try to become, if I try to make you my new friend, that's suggesting that I don't have enough friends in my own life already. And therefore I don't want to like reveal that because that would make me look like a loser. And then you don't want to be my, my wow. friend. Right. Ooh, that's a lot of overthinking right there. Well, I mean, but apparently this is what it is. So many people, many women are doing this, that they are like reluctant to plunge, you know, to like to plunge in and to start new friendships because they feel they might be judged that way. And for men and Leon, you and I have talked about this, that how how our husbands could use a couple more friends, Yeah, you know, that men are are reluctant to like make the first move um, to start a new friendship. But for men, it's reported that in most cases, they, they don't want it to be construed as a sexual advance. Like, Are you kidding me? No, no, Leanne. That's what the article said. That's <laughs> what men. 
Well, you could see how men could think that. People, right? people have a lot of hangups, man. <laughs> Everyone has a lot of hangups. Okay. Can we quote you on that, Liam? Yes. I'm not. I'm no psychologist, but it seems like a lot of hangups. Well, I you can. I mean, again, if it's not something you're doing all the time, you know, you can understand yeah. that men, you know, men are, are, you know, so they're, so both men and women hold back, you know, they have less time, okay. they hold back. That said, those are the reasons why they hold back. But um, this article talks about what you can do to, you know, to make new friends and new friends, you know, and this is important to do. Number one, you should also try to consider rekindling old friendships. Okay. And that, um, maybe because I've moved a lot, I have rekindled some old friendships. Uh, and, and I'm very happy that I've done that because uh, it's been nice to reconnect with people that, you know, for, you know, that I didn't see very often for a couple, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing more often and I, and I like that. So, um, so that's good. But they said the best way to make new friends is, maybe friends can lead you to new friends, you know, that maybe it's a friend of a friend that you're, um, that you're, that you're being introduced to and you should welcome what they call these bridge friends. Oh, that's a good, okay. That's good. I like that term. So even if it's your friend's friend, she can be your friend too. It's, it's, (laughs) we're not in, we're not in, we're not in elementary school, right? right? You know, you can use these bridge friends. Okay. And, you know, the important thing is also don't limit it to people who are just like you. You can have friends of different ages. You can have friends with different political points of view, you know, that are in different fields, you know, that, uh, you know, that, you know, that do have kids, don't have kids, you know, just all of those things are, are important that, you know, don't set your scope. So in such a narrow way that you're, that you're only trying to make friends with people who have sort of a similar background to yours. Got okay. It. Other thing, Leanne, is don't expect too much too soon. Okay. Friendships yeah, take a long time. They do. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're not, you maybe you're not going to be able to share, you know, uh, as much as you'd like right off the bat. You know, you, you have to have sort of the, the cumulative experience together and, you know, and, and do things together to build that level of trust, to build that level of camaraderie, of communication. I think that's good. But you do need to be open and share some about yourself, you know, that that's the way you deepen your friendship. I mean, if you just sort of stay at a polite surface level and don't really talk about things that you're really interested in or concerned about or, or, you know, or value that you're never going to have a deeper, a deeper relationship. Um, and follow up, follow up, follow up, Lee. And that's their, their last tip that, you know, one outing is not going to do it. If you want, if you want to make new friends, you've got to work on this and you've got to, you know, sort of figure out a way to, uh, to see this person or, uh, on a more routine basis. So, all good suggestions. I really. thought this worth too. doing it. It's just a reminder. It's not too late. You can no, you can make new friends anytime. Right. Well, it's very important. You need them because it's good for your health. Okay. You, you don't want to. You don't want to be alone, Leanne. That's not good. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Uh, It's a good time then to mention our Satellite Sisters Celebration Facebook and Instagram contest. If you're gathering with your friends, new or old, uh, we would love to see a photo of it. You can post it on our Facebook page or on Instagram. You can find us at Sat Sisters on Instagram and uh, use the hashtag Sat. Sat Sisters YTB. Sat Sisters YTB. For Sat Sisters, you're the best. We're celebrating our book all about the importance of female friendships this spring. There are a lot of gatherings happening. We know that. I I have a college reunion coming up in a couple weeks. I'm excited to see some of my college friends. See, Leanne, you can rekindle some old relationships. How about that? Yeah. No, I was actually, it's actually my husband's college reunion. He's a year ahead of me, but we went to the same small school. So I was looking at the list of people coming. I'm like, oh my gosh, these are some people I literally haven't seen in like 25 years. I'm happy that they're on the list. So uh, so I was thinking I would really like to reconnect with her and her and him. So that will be great. Uh, maybe I'll bring copies of the book, but also I'll take some photos at the, uh, at the college reunion. But if you're going to a college reunion or a graduation or any kind of shower or Mother's Day gathering or pre-Mother's Day gathering at your, at your child's school, we would love to see pictures of you and your satellite sisters. Use the hashtag SatSistersYTB, and we'll be picking one winner in April, May, and June uh, from our Facebook page or Instagram page, uh, and you'll get a copy of Satellite Sisters, You're the Best, a celebration of friendship. Excellent job, Julie. New friends. Cheers. New friends. Cheers. Cheers to that. Um, okay. Speaking of, I don't know what, speaking of (laughs) friends, this was a bad transition, so I'll just go for it. Uh, this was a, that was bad. That was poorly executed. Um, there was a a couple of posts on our Facebook page, an article surfaced this week by Julie Lithcott Hames. She's an author of the New York times bestseller, how to raise an adult. And I know we talked about her on the show earlier this fall when the book came out. Um, she's a former Stanford Dean of admissions. And uh, her book is really geared at like, hey, this is what I learned working at an elite college. Here are these kids that are coming in that have been coddled their whole life, that have been helicopter parented, that don't have some basic life skills. And the book has done very well, and it's a good book, How to Raise an Adult. But this is just a short takedown, eight things eight skills every 18-year-old needs. Several Satellite Sisters posted this on our Facebook page. They wanted our commentary on it. And um, I just had to laugh because this weekend, you know, I have an 18-year-old, Julie. I have a a soon-to-be 21-year-old. Almost everything on this list has come up in the the last (laughs) week. Like, check. I did it. They have that skill or, oh boy, I gotta, I gotta work on this before he leaves for college in September. So, um, so here's the list. I'll just read each one and then we can talk about, talk about a few. Okay. An 18 year old must be able to talk to strangers. An 18 year old must be able to find his way around a campus, the town, whatever. An 18 year old must be able to manage his assignments, workload, and deadlines. An 18-year-old must be able to contribute to the running of a household. An 18-year-old must be be able to handle interpersonal problems. An 18-year-old must be able to cope with ups and downs, courses, workloads, college-level competition, tough bosses, you name it. An 18-year-old must be able to earn and manage money. And an 18-year-old must be able to take risks. I think huh. that's a pretty substantial list of things, frankly. I, I like it, Leah. I like it. I think you could say a 30-year-old, a 60-year-old. Right. I don't know. 
I mean, I think those are things people work on their whole lives. Yeah. Yes. But I, but I understand her point. Yeah. That she's, she, you know, she was seeing a lot of underdeveloped 18 year olds in on many of the life skills uh, showing up on campus. Right. right. That, that their parents had sort of stepped in and solved a lot of problems for them, handled a lot of issues for them, protected them for better or worse. And now they don't know how to get on a bus. So I, I get that. I totally no. I think it is. I mean, I, I feel like we're pretty good in some areas, not so good in others, but um, I feel like he's almost there, the 18 year old and the 21 year old, almost there so this week like the 18 year old must be able to talk to strangers and she cites faculty deans advisors landlords store clerks human resources managers co-workers bank tellers healthcare providers bus drivers mechanics everybody in the real world and here's the problem we have taught kids their whole life not to talk to strangers you're right you're right don't don't Stranger talk to danger, danger right? Yeah. Just, just <laughs> stay away. So now, now we're saying, no, 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 you got to talk to all those people. So last week, Colin had a couple of days off. And so it was the perfect time. He has to register for his classes um, next uh-huh. week. Now he's going to a school where you only take one class at a time. So it's pretty important which class you sign up. So that seems like a pretty easy process, right? Well, it's easy, but the stakes are high, you know, because it's not like, well, I have to take this class, but I have three other classes I really like. Like, it's only one class, and um, you take it four days a week. So you really need to like the class. So the school advises, like, you have to talk to an advisor before you register. So whether you come to our admitted students' day, which he couldn't get to, or whatever, call the office. Every single day I had to say, could you call the office? Could you call? I mean, could you call? He just, it wasn't so much that he was afraid of the class. He just like picking up the phone and talking to a stranger. I could tell that was, that was difficult for him. So we we have to work through it, but I'm working on that one, Julie. So what are you you doing? Just having him like go out around the Rose Bowl bowl and talk to strangers as (laughs) to improve his skill set in that area? I am trying to get him to do more of that, to not step in when I could. I mean, obviously, I could have called, right? A lot of parents, but I did not. But I'm like, this is really important. You got to call. So I worked on a Wednesday, Thursday. By Friday, he called. So there you go. And he lived to tell the tale. Um, All right, an 18-year-old must be able to find his way around campus. Now, this I'm a huge believer in learning how to take public transportation, read a bus schedule, a train schedule, but it's hard. We live in a place with not a ton of public transportation and where everyone drives cars, but I, they are good. Both my kids about just getting up and going. They don't let things intimidate them. Like where will I park or how will I drive on the freeway? Or that's a bad part of town. They don't let that intimidate them. So I feel like we're halfway. And they they all have phones now. So I'm surprised this is on the list Yeah, because it seems like, you know, they have a phone. They can figure out how to do things. Well, there's way. how, and then there's the willingness to do it. Because okay. I have other friends whose kids have called me like, I, I don't know how to take a train out of Boston to, you know, New Haven for the weekend. Like, they literally don't know where to go to do that. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Well, they need to work on that. I know, right? <laughs> All right. An 18-year-old must be able to manage his assignments, workload, and deadlines. 
So the crutches, of course, we spent the last four years, probably the last 18 years of their lives going, do you have any homework? Have you done it? Mm-hmm. When's the homework due? When's the test? Checking Did you that study backpack for that? every day. Oh right? my yeah. gosh. I am so excited not to have this be part of my life. I'm pretty good about this because I just, I couldn't take it anymore. The stress of like checking. I didn't even log in once to the parental <laughs> website this year. I did not Way even, to go, Mom. Did not even super, log in. You're doing a super duper job over there, Lingan. I have a lot of conversations <laughs> like you're gonna pass everything, right? That it's just I'm not gonna get a weird notice at graduation. So I I feel like we have achieved this one. For better or worse, they manage their own assignments. They so it's a reason they're not going to Stanford is that they manage their own assignments. But okay. It's All right, an 18-year-old 18, 18 must be able to contribute to the running of a house. So ask them to help around the house. You know, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do their laundry. I yeah. mean, so many don't know how to do their own laundry. Right. Don't know how to make their own bed. You know, come on. Come on, people. The good thing about, like, doing laundry is it really takes, like, 12 minutes to teach them. Like, whether they will do it or not is another question. But how to do it, it's not very complicated to do laundry. Like I had, I had concerns when Brooks, my older son moved out finally in January, but he's cooking, he's shopping, he's doing laundry, he's making the bed, he's cleaning the house, things for years he, he did not do like under penalty of death around our house, you know, but he observed enough. He knew how yes. to do it. Yes. He knew we how to do very it. Very busy for the first 18 years. Yes. yes. He knew how to do it in theory. So he is, able to handle that um but this week i got the best call uh from him saturday he had to go buy apparently his first bottle of tylenol he had a headache and so he called me in a panic saturday night he's like mom i got the tylenol and i had the thing on it the wrap around and then i punctured the seal but he goes but there's this weird cotton ball in the tylenol thought it was like a poison cotton ball that's so cute it's cute isn't it he's like is "Is this normal is this okay i'm like yeah it's cotton ball just take it out and throw it away (laughs) okay Ah. Uh, an 18 year old must be able to handle interpersonal problems all right we we do step in it's hard not to but uh I saw witness my 18-year-old trying to navigate transportation to the prom yesterday. There was, uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, so this weekend. Again, some of his parents' friends do not let their children drive on the freeway in California, which is very hard to get places. <laughs> right. I don't. So there was a. Do we rent a limo? But they were really late. And there was just the limo was like so much more complicated than just driving yourself to the prom. I, but, and he was looking for help. And I said, I got to go. You got to handle this yourself. I don't want to get involved in this. You know, goodbye. Just good luck with this. <laughs> Another excellent mothering moment, Leanne. And when I came home, he's like, we're all just going to drive cars. I was like, excellent. That worked out fine. That worked out fine. So, uh, all right. An 18 year old must be able to cope with ups and downs of courses, workloads, college level work, competition, tough teachers, bosses, and others. We step in when things get hard. We finish the task. We extend the deadline. We talk to the adults and the kids don't know the normal course of life that things won't always go their way. It is important to have 
classes you hate and teachers who don't like you and bad bosses. And you just have to let that happen. Yeah. 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 You learn important lessons. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. An 18 year old must be able to earn and manage money. So the crutch is a lot of them don't have part-time jobs. It's hard to find part-time jobs. As a matter of fact, now a lot of jobs that we did growing up as kids are now held by adults. So, uh, so they don't know how to earn and manage money, but I think my kids know how to do that. Did your kids, you had, they had jobs in high school, right? They always had jobs in high school. Yeah. And they had jobs in college and, um, yeah, they, they somehow got that, um, 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 Message. Got, got the message. I feel like I still have problems managing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy earning it. It's the managing it that no, I could use some more help. Uh, and then finally, this last one, an 18 year old must be able to take risks. I think that's a harder one because a lot of these kids these days, they are super programmed. They're just on the path. And even if you try to go off the path, like I remember when my son announced he was taking, told people he was taking a gap year, people treated him like he had failed. Yeah. He had to answer a lot of questions about, oh, poor you, you didn't get in anywhere. And that was not the case at all. Not the reason at all. Uh, But he just got so defeated by that. He just stopped telling people. He just started making up things like, oh, I'm going to USC, even though he wasn't. (laughs) Just to shut the adults up. Yeah. Like right. I no, I just just whatever. No, people didn't really care where he was going. They just like couldn't handle the fact that he was like taking a year off after high school. It was interesting. So it was interesting that it was he got the most pushback from adults in that case. Of course. But you know, that's I mean, even in choosing college majors, maybe your parents are, you know, set on you, you know, you being a pre med. And you get there and you know that's not for you, you know, sort of taking the risk to change your major, change your sort of course to some other field. I mean, that's that's a pretty big um, decision for an 18-year-old. Right, right. So it's a good list. I'll put a link to this. Well, it's on our Facebook page, but I'll put a link on our website too. Uh, Interested to hear from you. I know we have a lot of Satellite Sisters listeners who have uh, kids in this age group, you know, late late high school, college, early adolescent, early adulthood. So how are you doing on this list of 18? Yeah, I think it's not bad. Or of eight things you need to know when you're 18. I think I'm doing okay. We'll see. I think you are, Lynn. I think (laughs) you are. We'll see. It's essentially you're just not doing anything, and that seems to be working. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's that balance between, like, neglect and vague interest. You know, yeah. you just yeah. – you, it, you have to be conscious of not helping them. Right. Which right. is hard – you know, that's harder than it sounds because mm-hmm. they're idiots many times. So it would be <laughs> – Right. And, yeah, and so easy like, to right. step in, you right. know? Well, it's one phone call. I'll just make the phone call. You know, you can say that to yourself a million times or, okay, just get in the car. I'll drive you. Cause I don't want to teach you how to take the, you know, the public transportation to the, to the concert, but you know, take public transportation to the concert. You can do it. You can do it. 18 year olds. You can do it. All right. Uh, one quick note. Oh, speaking of taking risks, Julie, yes. I broke through yesterday. I did something I had never done before. What's that, Liam? I went to hot yoga. No, no, no tattoos. No <laughs> tattoos. I went to hot yoga. Finally, after, oh. you know, 25 years of practicing yoga, I've never been to hot yoga because, again, my claustrophobia. <laughs> and I know 
that sounds nutty, but it's very hot in there. And I tried several times to go and I never got out of the car in the parking lot. I started to panic about thinking about going in and what if I can't get out and what if it's too hot? And like, I just would work myself up into a lather before I went to hot yoga. But that's sort of, so you got yourself hot before you went to hot yoga. I did. I did. But yesterday, but I, I've been going to this place, Core Power, which is, I think they're franchised all over the country. I know we have a couple of satellite sisters that go where they have like steps. You can go to sort of hot yoga, slightly hotter yoga, a little bit hotter than that uh, yoga until you work your way up to hot yoga. And so I had done the steps and I found I liked a little bit of heat, you know, cause I'm old. And so I can't, <laughs> not as bendy and stretchy as I used to be. So the heat was good. I like to sweat a little bit. That's uh-huh. good. That's good for you, right? So yesterday, three o'clock, my friend was supposed to meet me there. She blew me off, but I went in anyway, and I did exactly what they said. They said, go in early, acclimate yourself to the temperature for like five to 10 minutes before. Don't come late or at the last minute. Sit by the door so that every once in a while, the teacher opens the door to get a little cooler air and you get a little blast of cool air. The teacher said, take it easy. Don't overdo it. I talked to several women in the class. There were other first timers there. We sat next to, we worked next to each other. One younger woman said she was like a disaster the first class. So just don't feel free to sit down. And I made it through, Julie. I made it through. So I'm very proud of myself. It was Good kind of for fun. You, Are you going to go back? Do oh, you- yeah. I'll go back. I mean, you really sweat. And I, you know, I'm not a big sweater. So uh, it's kind of fun to sweat. I, you know, it's good for your complexion, Leanne. That's the way I feel, Julie. I felt like I wasn't getting enough, so I wasn't sweating out the toxins. So even in a tough yoga class, if it's not heated, I, I don't sweat a ton. So this, this, no problem with that. I mean, my face was red all afternoon. Like I walked into the house. My son's like, what happened? I was like, I just have to go upstairs. Take off my clothes and lie down on the bathroom floor. I'll be fine. You know, <laughs> be totally fine. So, <laughs> so it's, I couldn't, I couldn't do it in the morning and go to an office because I would just be blotchy and sweaty all day. But, um, I enjoyed it. I made it through. There was only one moment at the end where I thought I'm going to have to leave, but I stuck it out. I did what they told me, just took a rest. I didn't push myself. I hydrated, 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 and I enjoyed it. So, it's not, I won't go every single time, but uh, once or twice a week, I like it. So there you go. I broke I, I Hats off to you, Leanne. Thank I mean, you. it's good to continue to physically challenge and mentally challenge yourself. And it's very easy uh, at this point in our lives not to do that, you yeah. know, just to stay in your comfort zone and, and good for you, Leanne. Thank you, I'm Julie. glad you had, I'm glad you had a good pay, payoff there. Thank I'm you. I'm not doing that. No. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you can. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, uh, it's the Satellite Sisters commentary on Outlander. Stay with us. Happy 400th birthday, William Shakespeare. You don't look a day over 399. Oh, yeah. It's William Shakespeare's 400th birthday. And to celebrate, my novel, Elizabeth the First Wife, is on a Kindle special all Shakespeare week. There are a whole bunch of Shakespeare festivities going on amongst writing communities and theater communities all over the world. And we are getting in on the action. So if you haven't picked up a copy of Elizabeth the First Wife on Kindle... This is the week to do it. $1.99. It's a contemporary, modern rom-com with a lot of Shakespeare in it, but not so much that it's too distracting from the story. 
So start your beach reading early with Elizabeth the First Wife by Leanne Dolan. This week only, Kindle, $1.99. Happy birthday, Bard! You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Leanne and Julie. We're back. We are back with our Outlander commentary. I guess we have to come up with a new name then. Okay, so we're looking for a name. Comments on Outlander. Yeah. Something. Help us, people. So, uh, yeah, it's not a full recap. We're doing just commentary on this week's episode. It's season two, episode two. But, Jill, let's just start off, because I know a lot of people listen to the commentary, even if they don't watch the show. So here's what you need to know about this episode uh, in terms of story. Okay, Jamie and Claire go to France. Uh-huh. Jamie's uncle or cousin or whatever he is hands them a house and a wine business and some very discreet servants. They just get that. They walk off the boat. Here you go. They meet some very important people within hours of arriving on French soil, including one woman who really can only be described as the pre-revolutionary equivalent of Samantha on Sex in the City. Okay. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Through this French sex pot, they go to Versailles, they meet the king, and they start their mission to reverse history before it happens in terms of the Scottish uprising. Okay, so that's just the story of this Uh week's episode. But Julie, that does not do justice to this (laughs) completely out of control episode. This was outlandish, out of control, outrageous, just... I, I like I my like my eyes were uh were coming out of my head, like coming out of my head. I I mean like Claire's breasts were coming out of her dress. I mean let's okay, just that like... red dress. We we'll, we'll just refer okay. to it as the red dress. Yeah. It was structurally unsound. Uh, uh the bodice on that, if there a big wind came through Versailles, she was going to be flapping all over the place, Land, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know even know how that dress was was just staying up on her body okay i I, julie the whole time i was watching the show i kept thinking i can't believe julie sat through this i'm worried about (laughs) julie oh my gosh i can't believe she sat through this all right so let's break it down the fashion they were just okay if the kids are in the car you're just you're probably going to want to turn this down and i probably should have said that before but there were just a lot of nipples happening on the show this week (laughs) isn't that true i know it was nipples galore yes I mean, the French, you know, courtesan or whatever, Samantha, Le Samantha. I mean, she was just nipples of uh, of ablaze as, you know, an entire scene, just nipples. Just, you know, she had a robe on, but there were still nipples. And then, I mean, I couldn't even listen to the dialogue because the nipples were just coming out at me, you know? And when that end of her wasn't coming out at, at me. It's... Yes. All right. So we're going to get to the personal grooming habits of the French. Yes, I I think we need to do some historical fact checking on this episode as to whether the things we saw in this episode really were happening during this period in France. Again, I thought I thought all of this stuff actually started with sex in the city. So I did not know that (laughs) 40 years before the French Revolution, these things were happening. So we had a lot of nipples. We had Claire's red dress that was nuts. And there was no reason for it because none of the other women at the French court had well, that breast. That was that was just a lot of breasts. It seemed unnecessary. I didn't understand it. And even then Jamie, even Jamie was agog at the dress, at the structurally unsound bodice there. Yeah. But 
And, and then there just... was the woman that took it one step further. The king's date there just had nipples. She was, <laughs> she just right. had a bare breast with like, what were those on her? I don't know. It was nipples. like a Madonna like... top she was wearing. Now, this is during, even Madonna was more like, had more coverage than, uh, than this. This was like a full on Janet Jackson outfit on <laughs> top. Just... Yes. Okay. At Versailles, which again, I don't know. I took a French history class in <laughs> at college. We did not discuss this. I so. have been to Versailles. I don't remember seeing any of these nipples there. Okay. So we had that. And then we had the personal grooming habits. So Julie, please describe the scene you were aghast at about what is happening okay, so, to Le So Samantha. this is the French sex pot who is now Claire's best friend. Yeah. Claire always, just as a side comment, she picks some bad friends. I mean, she had that witch friend right. in, the, in the season yeah. one. So this, so she's got uh, Samantha. We'll just call her Samantha <laughs> yeah. there. So Samantha is lying out on the chaise lounge in all of her glory. And it's all hanging out there, people. She has a robe on but it's not really covering much. And we learned that one of the things that women of a certain class uh, in the elite class in this period in France like to do apparently is wax their legs and wax their, who, you know what? <laughs> well, the honey pot, as Jamie, honey called, pot. As Jamie called it later in the episode, the, the honey pot. Well, just, yeah, that did that. This is, uh, this is what what was going on, that they liked the, the sort of the smoothness that waxing provided and that this waxing was done, of course, by a man in a full on like, you know, wig and like, uh, I, you know, silk robes and things like that. I couldn't understand what he was doing in the room. Like, no. So, right. You think they would have some woman administer that. But no, he was there. Claire was there. Some other poor English girl was there who was about to be married off to some old guy. And the British women were aghast. But then Claire apparently joined right into the waxing session. She took we the looked- plunge, I guess. <laughs> I guess I guess she stripped and just had it all uh, cleaned up. Yeah. So that was something like that. Okay. And then we have to see Jamie witness the French king doing his daily constitutional, <laughs> which again... Historical accuracy. I mean, I would like to check on that. I don't and know. apparently, Prince Charles Edward Stuart was very constipated. <laughs> so we, so there. This was a long scene. Very long That's, scene. Very long. Very long. Lots of discussion about oatmeal. Okay, and porridge, Lynn. <laughs> In general, if you didn't see the episode, the French came off like buffoons, frankly. Yeah. Just well, like that, I thought, then I thought, well, who is writing the Outlander series? This is all being done or supported and, and by uh, British and Scottish people who still hate the French in 2016. <laughs> so that they want to, they want to portray the French in the most ridiculous gross way and they're doing a fine job if this episode <laughs> uh, episode two was a fine example of that and then if this, this all doesn't sound like unbelievable that this is an actual television show <laughs> that julie watched then there's a scene at a brothel where there's a a lengthy display of sex toys and yes, it's uh, d-day it's d-day at the brothel <laughs> And the women are waving these things around, march parading around in, uh, in the you know at the brothel there uh, with these things in their hands. Remarkably lifelike. Uh, yes, <laughs> remarkably lifelike things. 
Again, I think we need a fact check on those, Liam. <laughs> so, so whew, I, I, Julie, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know what happened in that episode. I mean, I, they kept trying to bring it back to, you know, oh gosh, the Scots at Culloden, but I, I couldn't get back. I, see, this is, I go back to my suspicion about this series. Like I weighed in to see as season two, see, the first episode was okay. You know, there wasn't anything like uh, too raunchy. And then boom, uh, episode two, we're, we're going to France. <laughs> it's just, and in between there was some story. Jamie's having nightmares, of course, about his terrible time in the prison, which is only super confusing when you're seeing all these other things happening because apparently the French are just fine with anything goes in France. Anything <laughs> goes. And it all goes. It all yeah. goes and anything goes in France. So, uh, Julie, I, I have to say, I you know, the one scene I did enjoy was um, Murtaugh actually checking out the, the woman's dresses at the French yes. court. I thought that, I, that was understandable. I had the same expression on my face that Murtaugh did. <laughs> <laughs> so... I miss the kilts. I have to say, I miss the kilts. Yes, I, we could. Yes, we could use a couple of those knits. You know, in season one, everything was brown and black, and there was a lot of sweatering and uh, things around the neck. I don't know. This, it's all, it's all hanging out in it's season. All two. hanging out. All right, that uh, that is our commentary on this week's outlet. Outlander. Uh, we will be doing a full recap of Madam Secretary. Look for that as a separate podcast that we will post on Wednesday. All right, Julie, anything else happening this week for you? I'm recovering from watching Outlander. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. So how about you? You got a good week? Um, oh, if you're in the Los Angeles area on Saturday, I'm happy to be interviewing um, one of our, our hometown chefs here who has done an amazing job with her Little Flower and Lincoln stores, Christine Moore. She's a baker. She's a scratch baker who, you know, taught herself to bake. And then she's just released a beautiful new cookbook with her, you know, fancy trained baker, Cecilia Leung. So I'm happy to be interviewing both of them at Vroman's on Saturday at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's a beautiful book called Little Flower Baking. If you're going to be in the area, they're going to provide treats and cookies. Christine Moore is actually the one um, who sort of created the salted caramel. I know, Leanne, you have brought those yes. uh, to Dallas yeah. as little gifts yeah. uh, from time to time, and they are delicious. But she was the one that she, yes. started that whole Yes, she, I know they're ubiquitous now, but she uh, she was the one that perfected it when she was uh, a single mom. Her husband had just left her. She was looking for a way to make some money. She had worked in uh, kitchens in Paris and Campanile here in Los Angeles and was sort of struck by caramel and... Uh, so she worked on that and, you know, for months and months on that recipe and got it right. And that was the first product she started making, uh, you know, like 15 years ago. And, um, and now she has two well done stores, two beautiful cookbooks and, you know, she just makes delicious food, delicious food. So I'm looking forward to talking to her about baking and cooking and her career and, and taking questions from the audience. So if you are a baker, uh, come by, come by Romans and Pasadena on Saturday afternoon. All right, Sounds so that's good. it. Well, Leon, have a good week. Thanks, you too, Joel. And don't forget, call your satellite sister. Ow.